Hello, 2023. Uh, what will this new year bring? Now, I remember back when 2020 was coming to an end. Do any of y'all remember that? And how everybody was just thinking, oh, I am so glad 2020 is getting behind us. You know, COVID and all that stuff. But 2021 still had its challenges, didn't it? It's not like a change of a year all of a sudden makes everything great, right? As each passing year goes by, we see, we see a lot of things happen. And one of the things that I see is year by year how the culture changes. Have y'all noticed that? I, I don't know about you, but to me it seems like the world has turned upside down from, you know, even 10 to 20 years ago. What was once right and good is now considered evil and wrong. What was once considered evil and wrong is now considered right and good. I mean, it's flipped on its head. People used to trust the government. If I, if I asked you if you trusted the government today, <laughs> there might be a few hands that went up, but not so much. The church used to be a central part of many people's lives but now, not so much. Faith in Christ was once the dominant view in our culture. Today, not so much. I don't know about you, but more and more it seems like we are strangers in a strange land. You ever feel that way? The values and the beliefs that we hold as Christians are challenged at every level. The government challenges us. The education system challenges us. Even the sports world challenges us. And, and medicine challenges. The truth is that we are not the home team anymore. I mean, many of us grew up where we felt like, you know, this, we, we lived in a pretty much dominated Christian culture. In many ways, we have been blessed as Christians, but Maybe those blessings have made us a little complacent. Maybe we're like the proverbial frog in the boiling water. You know what I'm saying? We never saw the day coming when the culture would change so dramatically. But here we are. Just like our forefathers in the faith, we're now strangers in a foreign land. You might remember in Hebrews 11:13, 13, the, the faith chapter, if you will. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Paul reminded the Roman Christians to protect themselves from the influence of their culture in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Problem is that while we try to distance ourselves from the culture and its influence, how do we at the same time love people and try to show them Christ? We must not be conformed to the world's influence, but we also must love those in the world, right? That's the dilemma that all of us have. John 3.16 tells us the heart of God. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Now, God didn't love the sin of the world, but God loves people. Even though the world was and is against God, that has not stopped God from loving the world. He doesn't want us to live like the world, but he does want us to love the people in the world. And sometimes that can be a difficult balance. It's a good thing that we have a man who showed us an example, a man named Daniel. Much like us, Daniel found himself in a strange land with a culture that wanted to change him and remold him into its image. He was outnumbered by the culture's standards, but he had something that they did not have. And we have him too. God was with him. And he knew that as long as he followed God's standards, God would bless him. You see, the Babylonians didn't really know who Daniel was. But Daniel never lost sight of who he was in God's eyes. And this series called The Daniel Dilemma, we, we are beginning today, is, is all about standing firm in our faith while at the same time loving people well as we live in this culture that wants us to compromise our values. And this is the balance that we need to find. And the first step in doing this is to never forget who you are in the eyes of God. This was key, I believe, for Daniel. Daniel and his friends were taken when, when uh, the Israelites were defeated by the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians would do this with people that they defeated. They would strip the land of its finest and brightest and take them to Babylon. The idea was if you leave the land without good leadership, they won't revolt against us. That was the basic idea. And once the Babylonians took all of the finest and the brightest back to Babylon, the goal was to force these finest and brightest to compromise and fit in with the Babylonian culture. This is the story of Daniel. And within the story, we see Daniel's dilemma. How do I live for God in a culture that's trying to change me and still represent the values of God? The first thing the Babylonians tried to do was rename him. And this, in fact, is something our culture will do as well. It will try to steal our identity. And friends, we can't allow that to happen. So let's think about the first thing today, the attempt to rename me. Now, what is in a name? Some people name their children with specific things in mind. They might name their child after a beloved family member. Our granddaughter is named McKenna Jane Waters. Her middle name paying homage to my mother. How many of you are named after a family member? Anybody here named after a family member? So someone loved that family member and they wanted you to have that connection. 
But in some cultures, a name carries even more weight. For instance, in the case of Daniel, his Jewish name, Daniel, meant God is my judge. Sorry, I'm having trouble with this here. Uh, his name and the names of his friends had deep meaning for them. All of their names carried with them a message of faith in the Jewish God, our God, Jehovah, Yahweh God. So as the Babylonians attempted to change them and remake them into good Babylonian citizens, they changed their names. So let's read in verses 3 through 7 in Daniel 1. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. <coughs> Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now that tells me right there that I wouldn't have been one of the ones chosen. Uh, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Meshach, or Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now the last vestige of who they were and what connected them to their homeland and their past was their names. They were forced to learn the Babylonian language, to study its literature. They were introduced to Babylonian food, some of which was against their religious rules to eat. But the name was sort of a final blow. And as we think about the names of Daniel's friends, think about how they paid homage and glory to God. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael means who is what God is. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. All of their names. An attempt to honor and glorify God. But notice how the new names would be an attempt to break their ties to the God of their past, to their faith, and force them to connect to the Babylonian faith. Daniel's new name was Belshazzar, which was a way of calling on a Babylonian god to protect his life. Hananiah's name was changed to Shadrach, which was a way of saying that a Babylonian god was in command of his life. Mishael's name was changed to Meshach, which meant uh, who is what Aku is. Aku was a Babylonian god. And finally, Azariah's name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebu. Nebu being a Babylonian god. Do you see that in each case, the name was changed from honoring the God that they had worshipped and served to now honoring 
the Babylonian gods. This was a stripping away of faith and reliance on God. To change their name meant to change the core of who they were, of their beliefs. I don't know if you see this happening in our culture regarding Christianity, but I see it. The constant attacks on faith, the reshaping of belief have led to where we are today. We must accept our own responsibility in this. I mean, how many religious scandals have helped to create this atmosphere? <clears throat> how many Christians living and acting like the rest of the world have helped to form the current view of what a Christian should be? But ultimately, the world has reshaped public opinion about Christians. The name Christian doesn't really mean follower of Christ anymore for many people. In fact, now it may mean to some when they hear it, hateful, bigot, unloving, judgmental, self-righteous, legalistic. That's how we've been painted. And it's possible that some claiming the name Christian have acted in that very manner. But that is not what the name means. Let's face it. The world is in a meltdown when it comes to who we were created to be. When people question the creator himself or the idea of creation itself, no wonder there is so much confusion. One example of this is gender confusion. Uh, this, is, this is just mind-boggling to me. I, it's hard to understand we are afraid to say that there is an emotional and mental discord for someone who believes that a man can be a woman or a woman can be a man. There is something that's not right going on. God did not create us like that. And I've seen where supposedly educated people, even doctors, will not say that only women can have babies. That, that a man can have a baby. Now, am, am I the only one here that's thinking, this is crazy. This is craziness. The world is losing its mind. But I understand it is to appease people who were born as women, and have transitioned into a personification of a man. In that case, you want to call that person a man, I guess they could still have a baby if they hadn't had surgery. But no one ever born as a man can have a baby. Are we on the same page here? It is ridiculous. But it is an evidence of the confusion our culture has caused about our identity. And if we as Christians don't toe the line when it comes to these imaginations, the culture will try to tame us. And when we forget who we are and what our identity in Christ is, friends, we will lose our way. Friends, if we will genuinely accept Christ, we belong to him. We are a part of the family of God. We don't belong to the world. 
We can't worry about the world thinks about us or what the world says about us. In your heart, don't allow the world's definition of Christian to reshape your own conviction about who you are in Christ. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are to be holy and righteous. I didn't say perfect, but we are to strive to be like Christ. And in that effort, <coughs> not forgetting to love those who hate you and pray for those who persecute you, the culture will try to rename us. Don't buy into it. Hold firm to his name. It matters. Which leads to our second thought. <coughs> the strategy to tame me. If we don't bow down to the culture, it will try to force us to bow down. And as you read through the book of Daniel, you will see many examples and instances where that was the case. When Daniel and his friends stood up to the culture, the culture tried to force them to stand up. But in Daniel's heart, he had made a decision. And we read about that in Daniel 1.8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now you see, Daniel had resolved not to defile himself by compromising with that culture. In that particular instance, it was about eating the food <coughs> that was presented by the king, and he believed that by eating that food, he would be compromising his faith. That food would probably have been offered to a Babylonian god before it was put on that table. And this would have been offensive to God for him to partake. Now, there were also certainly Jewish re religious restrictions on what someone could eat, and some of that food would certainly have been on that table. No doubt, the Babylonians already knew this. <laughs> It was certainly an attempt to force them to compromise in another little way. Oh, that food looks good. That sounds sort of familiar, doesn't it? You know, oh, that, this is a nice fruit. It won't kill you. You know, eat it, you know. It, again, a, an attempt to force them to compromise their faith and eventually leave their past behind. I want you to notice what Daniel did in this case. Daniel didn't pitch a big fit. He didn't argue. He didn't riot. He didn't angrily strike out. He talked to the chief official. In other words, he approached the question with tact and politeness. Although he trusted in God and was, not, and was determined not to be compromised, he was not flaunting his faith. Daniel refused to be tamed but he would not allow the effort to tame him, to change him. And friends, it is so important that we don't allow the efforts of our culture to change us, to make us compromise in other ways. And what I mean is that we may uh, take the approach of striking out, 
or verbally assaulting people in our attempt not to compromise. We can even feel self-righteous in that we are being persecuted for Christ when we're shouting at people and calling people names. But when we act like this, we are in fact compromising and acting more like the world than we're acting like Jesus. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We might not be adopting some of the world's values, but we are certainly adopting its form of disagreement. I see people all the time shouting at each other. We, we've grown into a culture where there's no politeness. You know, pe- people don't respect authority. And they're just shouting. I know I got some coaches in here. Do you ever have parents that shout at you? Officials, do you ever have p- people on the sideline calling you names, telling you to get glasses? I, I... I'm an expert in making people mad. <laughs> This is, the, this is the culture in which we live. And, and we see people even becoming physical when they debate people. You know, the riots in the streets and the violence of recent years to achieve what I think, you know, is a good goal. Justice. Justice is a goal. We should all want justice. But this is another example of the world's confusion. When we attempt to get justice by being unjust, How does that make sense? But the idea is that we will tame you by forcing you to conform to our standards. And so when we strike back with our own verbal assaults and even retaliate, we are not compromising or we are compromising our faith because we're not compromising what Jesus has called us to do. He doesn't want us to live like that. In Luke 6, 27, Jesus said, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Rather than calling down judgment on those who are nailing him to the cross and spitting on him and calling him names, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, friends, when we act like the world acts towards those who disagree with them, The world has succeeded in causing us to be compromised. We aren't following the example of the one we claim to follow. We aren't acting like Jesus. We're acting like the world. And in that, we are compromising. In a sense, the world has succeeded in taming us. And I think like Daniel... We need to resolve not to be defiled. And that means not to compromise what we believe, but also not to compromise how we act, even towards those who are trying to compromise us. Daniel understood that the chief official would have to answer to somebody. You know, that chief official, he was probably in a bad spot. So Daniel wasn't angry at him, He wasn't belligerent in his response, but Daniel would be tested. And friends, the world will test you too. You will be tested to see if you are genuine or if you are fake. Are you the real deal or are you just posing as a Christian? 
Scripture is clear that not everyone who calls on the Lord is truly a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> In Matthew 7, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so we will have to prove our faith by our actions, which James reminds us in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then down in James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You see, our actions need to match our words. And all of that needs to be filtered by a heart and mind of faith. We will be put to the test to see if our words and our actions fit together. In Revelation 2.10, we read a warning and a promise. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. One of those tests is how, we, how do we respond to the people who don't like us. And I know it's hard to believe that somebody wouldn't like me. Right? Come on now, y'all. Maybe I should say it's hard to believe somebody wouldn't like you. And especially only because you believe in Jesus. But there are people that hate you. Because you believe in Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, they will hate you if you believe in me. How do we respond to people who have different values than we have? How do we respond when the world attacks our values and mocks Jesus? Do we want to strike back? I tell you, there are times I really want to strike back. I, I, I feel like, man, I, God strike them right now to show yourself but do, do we write nasty things on Facebook about people? Do we send out hateful memes and call people names? Can you imagine Jesus doing any of that stuff? Listen, if you get ready to write a note, a text message, an email, a Facebook message, if you want to do that, what you ought to do is you ought to ask yourself, would Jesus, is this the way Jesus would handle this? What would Jesus do? And I tell you what, if we will just do what we believe Jesus would do, I think that will keep us out of a lot of problems. Every time you feel tempted to do something, remember it is a test. Just like any temptation, Satan is hoping we won't follow through on what we say we believe. He is hoping we will become angry and hate the people who are testing us. And whoever wins the test will be able to claim us. You see, friends, there is a test to claim me. It seems like in our lives, there are always tests. Will I be true to who I say I am? And Daniel understood that God was with him. As long as he remained faithful, God was going to be faithful. And he would pass every test that, as long as he remembered it wasn't about him. It was about God. And we go back to our text in Daniel 1, and let's just read verses 9 and following. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told 
Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. So the chief official again, you remember, he was, he, he was trying to survive himself, right? And this is what Daniel understood. This guy was under a lot of pressure to shape and mold these captives into good Babylonian citizens. And the chief official was concerned that if, that if they didn't eat the food prepared from the king's table, that they might appear weaker than the other captives, and then he'd have to answer to the king. But Daniel made a deal with him. Hey, just, just 10 days. And after 10 days, just compare us. And then you decide what to do with us. In other words, if we aren't stronger than the others, do whatever you want with us. And that test would determine the direction of the rest of their lives, truly. If they failed that test, all sort of things could happen. They could be punished. The chief official could lose his position or worse. But there was a bigger peace that was at stake. If they caved into the pressure, then what difference would their faith have made? What would that say about how serious they were about their relationship to God? If they failed the test, then the gods of Babylon could claim them. But if they passed the test, then everyone would know that it was because their God was with them. He would claim them, and they would claim Him. And friends, do you see the bigger picture for us? Do you see that how we respond to this upside-down culture will either enable the culture to claim us or for God to claim us? When we act in the same way as the culture, we know what the world will say. See, they're no different than we are. They talk about love, but they don't show love. They talk about grace, but boy, are they judgmental. They talk a good walk, but they sure don't walk the talk. And so if we fail, just like with the chief official, the world loses too. Those who are lost, who might have been saved had we been true to our faith, will lose if we don't fulfill God's mission for us. There are people who we love who can be lost if we fail. And so there is a lot at stake, friends. They don't even know that their efforts to steal our identity and ruin our faith would actually hurt them. And so, friends, the culture truly is like an identity thief. I, I don't know if any of you have ever, anybody here ever had their identity stolen? Anybody? 
Did they ever find out who did it, Mike? Did they ever find out? Whew, I was worried about that. Um, <laughs> I personally haven't had that happen to me, but I have heard sad and horrible stories. Some, somebody comes in and takes another person's name. They take their social security number and they do things in that person's name. Sometimes they do things criminally in that person's name. I've heard of people getting arrested for what somebody else did in their name. Uh, or use false identification to steal from them or make charges on their credit cards or bank accounts. And people have lost just about everything because of these identity thieves. Friends, I want you to understand, the culture does the same thing with us. They want to steal from us everything that we have in God. And understand that Satan is the prince of this world. So he is sort of behind this effort. They want to show that we are not real, that our faith is destined to fail. And it is true, a lot of things have been done in the name of Jesus that were really in the name of Satan. We, we have to admit that. But Daniel would not allow the Babylonians to steal his identity. He would not be compromised. He took a stand, but, he, but again, he did it in a kind way, in a loving way. So I want us to finish out the chapter Going back to verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his servant service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it's interesting that they used the Jewish names there. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. God was faithful because they were faithful. They didn't shrink from their faith because they did not fear death. They, they were willing to suffer and die for their faith. They didn't care. God blessed them for it. And this is why we're talking about them over 2,600 years after all this happened. How many of those young Jewish men were taken to Babylon? And how many of their names do we know? We know four. Why do we know for? Because they did not compromise. If they had compromised themselves and caved into their culture, we would not know who they were. They would have been like the countless others who were taken to Babylon and just caved to the pressure. Friends, we too will be remembered. I want you to know this. You be faithful to God and he will remember you. You will not be forgotten. You remember the parable of the talents? The master was going out of town on a trip, and so he left all his possessions in the hands of three servants. And two of those servants took his possessions 
and invested them. And when he returned, he had more to show for his possessions, and he was pleased with them. And he said to both of them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. This is our promise, friends. If we can hold on to our faith in the midst of cultural chaos, God will be faithful. If we can stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise, God will reward us now and then. So never forget who you are in the eyes of God and faithfully live up to what he sees in you. Father, we need your strength and your wisdom from your spirit. If we are to be successful at living without compromise in a loving way, and that's exactly what you promise us. You are with us. Your word reminds us. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, he will not, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, <coughs> be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, we trust in you to be our refuge and our strength. And we just pray, God, for all that are listening, whether they're here or online, that you would give them the strength and the refuge that they need, that they would live faithfully in a world of compromise, but do it with grace and mercy and love. Grant us your peace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.